Luke chapter 6 this morning, Luke chapter 6. Luke chapter 6. My plans changed this week, as plans often do. And uh, Tuesday night, um, had a nice meal with the Laidlaws and then went over to see Sue. And I knew that uh, she was going to the hospice facility on Wednesday. And so I wanted to see them that night. And it was good to see Rob and Deb Tronowski were there and visiting with her. And a lot of good memories they were sharing. Some funny stories, too. And, they, and the men weren't afraid to tell stories about each other. And so we got to learn a lot about them. But it was, it was a lot of fun. And, uh, but I just felt like uh, I had planned on going down Friday to get my wife and come back yesterday, but I decided I better go a little bit earlier in case I needed to get back. And I was just concerned that Sue's health was declining as such. And, and uh, it, didn't, it didn't end up that way. I was able to go down, but I sat at my daughter's kitchen table and I was studying and getting sermons ready for today and, and, and getting ready for the weekend. And uh, I read this passage of Scripture just as a devotion just as a kind of a, a personal thought, and it's, it's, it's bugged me ever since. You ever had that? Or scripture? I, I call it tripping over a scripture. It just it kind of gets in you and bugs you for a little while, and it's one of those scriptures, and I wasn't really planning on preaching it this morning, but I, the, the, I just sit here this morning can kind of consumed with it. And as we think about the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ on the cross of Calvary and all those things we've sang today, we know there was a lot leading up to that moment. There was a lot of hurt and rejection. The Lord Jesus Christ was rejected by those he came to save. The Bible says into the hands of sinners that he might die on the cross of Calvary. And as I read this passage of scripture, something jumped out at me that I had not really seen before. Now, of course, I've read it before, and, uh, but it's interesting how, how you can read the scripture over and over. And, and when the Lord just says, look at this this time, look at it a little differently, and helps you to see something you've never seen before. He keeps it fresh and alive in your heart. And that was the case with this passage. And I just want to share a few thoughts about it this morning, if we could, as we look together at Luke chapter 6. Now, our text will be later on in the passage from verse 6 on. But I want to read the first five verses to give you context. Now, understand this. It's a little bit unusual. Because these two events happen at minimum... A week apart. The Bible doesn't actually say how long. It just says that one time, the, the first five verses we'll look at took place on a Sabbath day, and then it says on another Sabbath day. And so we don't know how much time has passed in between. It could have been three weeks, it could have been four, I, I, but a very minimum, there's been seven days passed in between these two Sabbath days. Notice what it says. It's interesting that God, in his infinite wisdom, would put those two Sabbath day instances back to back. You say, well, didn't anything else happen during the week? I'm sure it did. I'm sure the Lord Jesus Christ did a lot during that week. If nothing more than trained his disciples and was teaching them and helping them and, and growing them. Now, understand this. He had not yet selected the 12, but they're already followers of Jesus. There were already people that were listening to his teaching, and we will see in the, in the scripture this morning that there were those that followed him out of the synagogue and accepted Christ and were healed. And, and so there were already followers, though he had not chosen his 12, there were people that were wanting more of Jesus. And so for that week, I'm sure he was very busy. 
He was becoming more and more popular all the time. And, uh, and more and more, the Lord Jesus Christ was having to, to, to get onto a ship and thrust out from the shore. And that follows directly after this, this second uh, Sabbath that we will see. We see that he was being pressed in the cities and was having to go out into the wilderness to preach to crowds of many hundreds and even thousands later on because uh, what the Lord Jesus Christ offered. He offered healing, but not just for the body, but for the soul. He offered the forgiveness of sins. But you and I both know that with that comes the enemy. Whenever we try to do something for God... Satan attacks. And we see it's no dis different in the life of the Lord Jesus Christ, even though he was God in the flesh, and Satan might have known better to stay away. I, I remember, I don't know why this popped into my mind, but years ago, I, I remember coming home from school, and our, our neighbor was John Powell, and he had a doghouse outside, and I noticed that his dog, I, I, it was a, uh, a beagle, was pulling on his chain probably 20 feet from the doghouse, just kind of pulling away in fear. And I thought, what is going on? I just got off the school bus and I saw something turn inside that, that, that doghouse. And then I noticed it was a fox it was inside that doghouse. And he came out and he was eating the dog's food a little bit. And I thought, boy, there's something wrong with that fox. I think that dog would normally scare that fox away. And fox are usually kind of a timid creature. And so I, I remember going in and, and saying, Mr. Powell, there's a fox in your doghouse. And he came out with a rifle and he, I, I, he says, you go behind that doghouse and bang on it. And so I did. And that fox took off. And when he took off, Mr. Powell took a shot at it and he knocked its feet out from under it a couple times, but he didn't kill it. And it went across Kelly's field, the neighbor's side there, and it fell a couple times. But an hour later, I was out in the yard doing something, and I saw that dog pulling on its chain again. I thought, that fox is back. And it was. And I thought for a moment, I said, what kind of animal gets shot at, gets his feet knocked right out from under it, obviously got injured in some way, and comes back for more? There's something wrong with that fox. And sure enough, that time, he was able to shoot it. And they called animal control, and the, and the fox was rabid. It had rabies. The dog had to be quarantined for quite a while. When I was thinking about this, I, I got thinking about that dog, and I think about this. Satan is just like that dog. It's one thing for him to come like a roaring lion and seek whom he may devour in our lives and constantly be nipping at our heels, but we're talking about holy God. And the Lord Jesus Christ already swatted him away three times out in the wilderness by the use of Scripture. Thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. Man shall not live by bread alone. And he just kept swatting him away like he was nothing. Throughout his ministry, the Lord Jesus Christ would call demons out of men. He had power over that Satan. And yet Satan just kept coming back, abused and buffeted. He'd come back to attack again. Why do we think we're immune to it then? That has nothing to do with the message. I just thought about all that. Why do we think we're, if the Lord Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, can be attacked, why do we think we're immune to it? The Bible says that the Lord Jesus Christ, upon the Sabbath day in Luke chapter 6, 
It says, it came to pass on the second Sabbath after the first that he went through the cornfields and his disciples plucked the ears of corn and he did eat, rubbing them in their hands. Weird. I was just talking about this at the Laidlaws the other night. I, we had corn on the cob. And I said, did you ever eat raw corn? And when we were kids, I remember getting it out of the field and eating it raw. And they thought that was, that's what the disciples were doing. It's biblical, amen? And they were rubbing it in their hands. You said what? They were getting those kernels off. They were eating that corn. Sweet corn. It's pretty good. You should try it sometime. The Bible says they were rubbing it in their hands and they were getting some corn and they did eat, rubbing them in their hands. And certain of the Pharisees said unto them, Why do ye that which is not lawful to do on the Sabbath days? Understand this. Whenever you're trying to do something, there's always a Pharisee around somewhere. I got to wonder, what are they doing at a cornfield? Are they just standing there making sure nobody's picking corn, nobody's working? Is, Is that all they've got to do on the Lord's day? Rather than worship, let's go police everybody else. So here they are at a cornfield, and as those, those disciples begin to emerge from that place, the disciples of John, or these disciples came, and they're eating this corn. The Pharisees say, why do you do that which is not lawful on the Sabbath days? And Jesus answering them said, have you not read so much as this? What David did when himself was a hungered, that they which were with him, how he went into the house of God and did take and eat the showbread that and gave also to them that were with him, which it is not lawful to eat, but for the priests alone. And he said unto them, listen to this, that the Son of Man is Lord also of the Sabbath. Now, I, I just want to point this out very quickly. Again, nothing to do with the message, but it gives you some background and understanding of this passage. There are people today who say, well, Jesus never, ever claimed he was God. Didn't he just say he's Lord of the Sabbath? Let me ask you, who created the Sabbath? God did. The Bible says in six days he created everything that was, and on the seventh day he created the Sabbath, and he mandated it for the Israeli people, the Jewish people, to observe the Sabbath. He has seventh day, or six days shall a man work, and seventh shall be consecrated and holy unto the Lord. It is the Sabbath day, it is the Lord's Sabbath. And Jesus, here he is, says, I am Lord of the Sabbath. Well, the Pharisees, they were still a little bit dense to it all because they didn't cry out blasphemy. And yet here was God in the flesh saying, I am Lord of the Sabbath. Here we are in verse 6, and it says, And it came to pass on another Sabbath, again, we don't know how long has passed, that he entered into the synagogue and taught. And there was a man whose right hand was withered. And the scribes and the Pharisees watched him. Now, they're watching Jesus, not the man with the withered hand. We'll see that. That bears it out. Listen to what it says. And the scribes and the Pharisees watched him. You remember what I said about the cornfield? The Pharisees loved to watch. They didn't like to do, but they liked to watch. They wanted to make sure that everybody else was keeping the rules that they couldn't keep themselves. The Lord Jesus said that, didn't he? He says, you bind burdens and that are grievous to be born, and you put them on men's backs, but you're, yourself you're not willing to lift one finger. You just love bossing people around and making up all your rules. Now look what he says. Chapter 6, verse 7, And the scribes and the Pharisees watched him. 
What were they watching? Listen, whether he would heal on the Sabbath day, that they might find an accusation against him. But he knew their thoughts. And said to the man which had the withered hand, Rise up and stand forth in the midst. He arose and stood forth. Then said Jesus unto them, plural, so not the man with the withered hand, but to the Pharisees who were watching, I will ask you one thing. Is it lawful on the Sabbath day to do good or to do evil? To save life or to destroy life? Matthew also records this story and he expands on what the Lord Jesus Christ says a little bit. And he says, if a man have a sheep and he fall into a ditch, would he not save him on the Sabbath day? Just illustrating the idea that it is okay to do good. It's okay to help. It's okay to bless. And he says in verse 10, and looking round about upon them all. Well, I like that. Not one of them could hide from Jesus. Can you imagine those, those Pharisees are all just watching Jesus? They want to see if he's going to heal somebody on the Sabbath day. And when Jesus stands and says, I want to, I want to know something. Is it okay to do good on the Sabbath or to do evil on the Sabbath? What, what should I do here? And he looked at every one of them. Not one of them answered. Can I tell you why they didn't answer? Because they didn't care. The Bible already tells us they were just there to see if they could find something to accuse him about. That's all they cared. We're watching him to see if he will heal on the Sabbath so we have something to accuse him of. Read on. Looking round about verse 10, upon them all he said unto the man, stretch forth thy hand. And he did so. And his hand was restored whole as the other. Now look at this. I, I like this. There's three times this story is recorded in the Bible, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And I chose this one on purpose because I love verse 11. And they were filled with madness. The Bible doesn't say they were filled with anger. Listen, you understand, people get angry, dogs get mad. The word madness is, is referring back to when King Saul began to froth at his beard. When, he, when his visage was changed, when Nebuchadnezzar got really angry and, and his visage was changed. That's the kind of madness. Where they, they were losing their minds. They were so angry that they were frothing at the mouth. The Bible says they were filled with madness and communed. That means they got together to talk with one another that they, what they might do to Jesus, not with him. Nobody got around and said, what are we going to do with this guy? How do we solve this problem of Jesus? How do we stop him from teaching in the temples? What are we going to do with him? No, no, they said, what are we going to do to him? We all know what they did to him. And at this moment, their hearts were set against him with madness, not in their right minds. I believe at this very moment, they decided they would have to kill him. Let's pray today. Father, speak to us through your word today. We've read it. 
We've made some comments about it. We've tried to understand it. But this one thought that's in my heart today, I pray, Lord, that it would come forth from your holy word. And, Lord, that you'd speak to each of us. Help us, we pray. We'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. If there's one thing we know about the Pharisees of the Bible is that they love their rules. They had all kinds of rules. I, I, I don't mean to say that they were all wrong. Every faith group, every religion, everyone that holds a Bible in their hand today has standards. We have a certain thing we believe. We, we observe the Lord's table, and we do it with a certain etiquette, and we have certain things that surround that. But the Pharisees were not of that ilk. They loved to make up new rules. They like to go beyond the Bible and say, this is what it means when it says you shouldn't work on the Lord's day. Here's a whole, whole list of things that you should not do. When we were in Israel back in 2014, we learned that on the Sabbath day, when you went to your hotel, the, the elevator, and some of these were big. I mean, we were on the 13th, 14th floor sometime, wherever we were. It would stop at every single floor. You say, why? Because it was considered work to push a button. They didn't want, want a Jewish person going in that elevator and, and committing blasphemy by pushing a button that would take them to the fourth floor or what have you. That was considered work. I'm not sure how they carried their bags up, but somehow they managed that. See, often when men make rules, they don't make any sense. There's no balance to them. We also understood, we could see uh, in, in certain places that we toured, that there would be homes that were built up on top of these walls in different places, and they would have a rope that would go from one house to another. And I remember our guide saying this. He's saying, well, that's likely because they're family members and they're not allowed to walk more than a Sabbath day's journey. You remember reading that in the Bible? That the Mount of Olives was a Sabbath day's journey? It was the number of steps they were allowed to take on a Sabbath day without violating the law. It was just a number they made up. There was no scripture for it, no Bible verse, but their idea was if they tied those houses together, even if they were, uh, and so they, you would see houses tied one house to the next, to the next, to the next, and, and the guide said, it's possible that the person living in that house over there is related to one that's living five houses down, and they've got permission from their neighbors to tie them all together. That way they're not taking any steps because they're not leaving their property. It's all one big house. They just make up the rules. That's what Pharisees do is they put burdens upon people. Now notice what the Bible says here. Luke chapter 6, verse 6. And it came to pass also on another Sabbath that he, Jesus, entered into the synagogue and taught. And there was a man whose right hand was withered. We all know this story, don't we? The man with the withered hand. We know it. We've heard it for years, and we understand what Jesus is about to do. Notice what it says, though. And the scribes and the Pharisees watched him, whether he would heal on the Sabbath day that they might have an, or find an accusation against him. Here's what caught me this week. Here's what I tripped over, and I just can't seem to get by it. The scribes and the Pharisees were watching him. Nothing new here. We've already seen that they're watching cornfields. 
We're already seeing throughout the scriptures that they're constantly after people about obeying the law. And, and anytime Jesus spoke, there was always a Pharisee there to say, cry blasphemy. And the, they were seeking his life. And it doesn't matter what Jesus did, no matter how good it was, the Pharisees were always after him. But notice this. Not were they just watching, but whether he would heal on the Sabbath day. Here's what I... God spoke to my heart that I'd never seen before. I'm not surprised by the Pharisees' behavior. They're, they're sitting around that synagogue, and they're all in their different places. And, and by the way, places of honor. We've been in those old synagogues, and they have a, a high seat at the front. And then they have all around the outside of that synagogue, they have these higher stones. And that's where the Pharisees like to sit. You say, why? Because from up there, they could look down on people. I, I, I mean, they, they could literally look down upon them physically, but spiritually they could, they could observe them to see if they were doing what they ought to do. And when Jesus Christ walked into that synagogue, all the eyes turned from all the way around that synagogue. And it may not be very big. And most of the synagogues that we went to, the ruins of those synagogues, they were no bigger than the footprint of our bus barn. Probably 30 feet wide and 60 feet long and all the stone furniture, and there would be pillars in there that were ruins now just about this high. And, and they wouldn't be very big in a local synagogue. And some of the smaller towns had even smaller synagogues. But from all around that room, they turned and they looked at him. But here's the problem. They already knew that Jesus had the power to heal. That blew my mind. If I'm in that synagogue and I'm a Pharisee on that day and Jesus walks in and I'm upset about it, I think in my heart and in my mind, knowing what I know now, I would say, oh boy, here's this Jesus. I've heard a lot about him. I know he likes to heal and I, I've heard that. And I've heard that he does good things. But the Bible doesn't say that. The Bible says... They were convinced, they knew, they believed in their heart that he could heal. They had to know that there was something different about this man. The Bible says they were watching him to see whether or not he would heal. They didn't care that he was son of God. They didn't care that he had power upon him. They wanted to know, is he going to follow our rules? Think about that. It blew my mind to think that these Pharisees knew that Jesus had the power to heal. Here's a man sitting down in the congregation that day with a withered hand. And these Pharisees are looking at Jesus and they're looking back at that man. They're looking at Jesus and they're looking at that man. They're wondering, what's about to happen? Is he going to heal this man? We know he can. We've heard he heals. We know he has the power. But we have rules. When I was thinking about this, this thought, I thought, you know, that's sometimes what I do. I put God in a box. Say, God, as long as you work this way, I'm okay with it. This is what I want. I love to pray, give us this day our daily bread. That fits right neat and tidy in my box. Because I'm getting what I need. God, I... I, I know you shall supply all my need according to your riches and glory, and so I pray that way. 
I understand that before God that I'm lost and I'm, I'm undone and I'm a sinner. And, and so I, I, I'm so thankful that I can pray, God, forgive me of my sins and cleanse me of my unrighteousness and wash me in your blood. And thank you for Calvary and thank you for grace and thank you for mercy. That fits right into the box. Because I've been taught that my whole life. But I'm also reminded of a passage in Habakkuk. And we like to take that little verse and we use it. We'll put it on a plaque. It's one of those plaque Bible store verses, you know. Revive thy work in the midst of years. You need to read the rest of that book and find out what they were reviving. God was pronouncing judgment on God's people. He was about to rain down his wrath. And Habakkuk goes to the Lord and he's pleading with God and he's asking God, God, what are we, and God says, no, this is what is going to happen. This is what needs to happen. This is what I decreed is going to happen. And Habakkuk finally comes to terms with it. He says, all right, God, revive thy work. Go ahead. We have a hard time praying that because that doesn't fit in our box. Then follow our rules. I have to wonder As a man stretched forth his hand and it was made whole. I wonder if there was a Pharisee in that room that said, I've got something wrong. Well, I'd sure like to be healed. I've got, I've got a wife, I've got a child, I've got a, a parent that's sick, and I'd sure like them to meet Jesus. But it just doesn't fit within our, our rules. It doesn't, it doesn't go along with what the, the fathers have said about what the Sabbath is, that we can't even push an elevator button and we can't do this and we can't do that. Listen, that's what religion does. It's a whole list of rules. Now, the Bible has commands, don't get me wrong. There is right and wrong. There is sin and evil. There's no doubt in my mind. But the reformers came out with this. They said, we, we can boil down all the laws of God into one thing. The just shall live by faith. Following God and trusting God. And I wonder sometimes if we, can, if we can just bring this home and make it kind of a modern day application. How many times do we hear somebody put up their hand in church and say, Pastor, would you pray? We need healing in this regard. There's, there's cancer. There's some terrible disease. And we need God to do something. And you turn to your neighbor and say, well, but God doesn't work that way anymore. God doesn't do it that way. You don't know my God. You're putting a set of your finite rules on an infinite God. Do you know why you get small answers to your prayers? Because you have a small God. He fits neat and tidy into a little box and you carry him around and you put him on a shelf and you say, that's my God and oh, he's good and here's what he does and here's what he doesn't do. I've, I've used this illustration before, I know. I, I remember hearing people pray, God, I, I listen, we have not because we ask not. We ought to pray. I'll hear somebody pray, Lord, I've got this, I got this financial issue and I need, if you'll just give me a hundred dollars. And I'm thinking, what if God wanted to give you a thousand? Why, why are we always so busy giving God the answer to our prayers? That's what we do, isn't it? 
God, I've got this, I got this health issue, and I, and I know if you'll just do this or put the right doctor in my path or do this or do that, then, then I'll be okay. And we give God, we tell, I say, God, here's my need, but here's the answer too. Why don't you just tell God the need? You say, well, i got a financial trouble, and I, and I need it quickly. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. My friend, Luis Jimenez, worked with our young people in Hamilton. And we, we would come up against something, and, and we'd have, we had a budget. We had a tight budget at times. And we'd be working and saying, well, what are we going to do? We need to get this fixed. We need to repair in the church, whatever it was. We had to get a roof put on. We had to get windows. We had to do all kinds. So what are we going to do? And he says, oh, don't worry about it, Pastor. My father has lots of money. He wasn't talking about his earthly father. Just a simple faith. And we prayed, and God put a roof on that building. God put new windows in that building. We didn't know. Honestly, I look at the budget, and I say, well, I don't even see an increase in the money. And yet it came in, and we fixed it. I don't know how it happened. God took care of it. But we're so busy telling God, here's the answer to my prayers. God says, I have the answers. I have them all. And they're way better. Because I'm working all things together for good. You may not want what you're asking for. But I know what's best. These Pharisees, listen, listen to this. These Pharisees stood in the presence of God in the flesh, knowing he had the power to heal, and all they cared about was, is he going to obey our rules? That's all they cared about. I fear sometimes we get in the very presence of God, and we miss who he really is. We miss it. Let me ask you today, were you stirred by the worship today? I can hardly hold it together some Sundays. I'm not saying I'm any more spiritual than anybody else. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying I'm up here and they're singing and we're singing about cross and Calvary and man, my heart is moving. Try not to cry. I'm so glad that God still speaks and moves. But I've been in services too where I see everybody else getting in, and I'm just sitting there going, what, what's wrong with me today? I'll tell you this, it's not God, it's my heart. And here there were these Pharisees in the very presence of Jesus. And let me say it this way, they had to have known he was from God. If they did not believe he was God, they had to know he was from God. Because he could heal, and they knew it. Every last one of them should have got off their high perch and fell at his feet. But instead they said, let's, let's, let's go through the law. Here, you, you, turn to, you turn to Exodus and you turn to Leviticus and you turn to Deuteronomy and let's just, let's just watch. And if he does something wrong, let's see if we can find something to accuse him of. We have our law. By the way, they couldn't find anything to accuse him of over here. Not a thing. It was the rules they added to this. It was all the extra burdens and the sorrows. He is the Lord of the Sabbath. Let me, let me just ask you to do this this morning. Bow your heads and close your eyes.
This was just something that God had burdened my heart about. It's not, I didn't have a fancy outline or anything like that. I understand. But let me ask you this. If you were standing in his presence, would you know him? Would you recognize him? What a failure on the part of these Pharisees. Have you put God in some sort of box? Jesus left a village, and the Bible says he did not many works there because of their unbelief. I think they were probably a religious people. They were Jewish folks, raised on the Bible. They knew the history of the Jews. They had memorized the Pentateuch. But they did not believe. They stood in the presence of holy God. They saw the miracles. They saw the changed lives. And yet they did not believe. The book of Matthew records this as well. And the Bible says, when he left the synagogue, multitudes followed him. Listen, and he healed them all. There was a group of people that said, we're not going to put God in a box anymore. We're going to follow Jesus. We're going to obey him. We're going to obey his word. We're going to let him work. I'm so tired of hearing people saying, oh, God doesn't do work like that anymore. We, we used to see the revivals 100 years ago, and we've seen the revival through the Reformation, and we've seen God do things like that in, in, in Scotland and all over the world, but God doesn't do that anymore. Maybe your God doesn't, but mine does. Oh, we don't see people saved like we used to. That doesn't mean God can't. Maybe it's our unbelief. Maybe it's saying those very words is putting rules of our own making upon a God that just so desperately wants to work and so earnestly wants to save. I guess what I'm trying to say is God is not the problem. It's the attitude of a Pharisee that's the problem. Let's stand to our feet this morning. How big is your God? You're tucked away in a little box? Is your perception of God all kinds of things that you've made him out to be? Or is he almighty, all-powerful God? He's able to move mountains, but he's also able to see the sparrow that falls. God has spoke to your heart, would you step out and come? Maybe there's one today who said, Preacher, I'm not sure I'm saved. If I were to die today, I, I don't know where I'd spend eternity. We've talked about the cross today. We've talked about standing in the very presence of God and not knowing who he is, but you can know him today. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father but by me. He died that you might have eternal life. He paid the price for your sins.
we'd like to help you today. Is there one say, preacher, I'm not sure I'm saved. Would you slip up your hand? I promise I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to embarrass you. I promise you that. I won't call you out. Could we help you today, though? So one, 